Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in to AOA. Today, we've got a lot coming on today's program. We're going to talk markets with Ted Seifert of Zainer Ag Hedge here in just a moment. And then in segment two, we're going to take a look at right to repair. Not the legislation necessarily, but the private sector agreements the American Farm Bureau has been working on with Emily Buckman, the Director of Government Affairs at the American Farm Bureau Federation. And then in segment three, we're going to talk through a new survey released earlier this week from the USDA about that product of the USA labeling that's been proposed for meat. Justin Tupper, president of the U.S. Cattlemen's Association, will join us for that group's opinion on that new survey. Before we get into all of that, however, let's take a look at the markets. Ted Seifert, Zaner Aghedge joins us today. And Ted, it would appear as we're watching the trade this morning, we've got mixed trade. Nothing really seems to grab traders' attention. Yeah, absolutely, Mike. It is pretty quiet out there at the moment. And, you know, that's maybe not a terrible thing. Uh, we had export sales this morning, which were also mixed. Uh, you know, I, I'm going to say that the core number was better than expected, even though it was a negative number. We knew we had that big cancellation from China. But unlike the week before, where we had other cancellations from smaller, smaller cancellations from smaller countries, you know, mm -hmm. Costa Rica, Mexico, and so on and so forth, those cancellations didn't pile on top of it. We had some sales to offset that, that big cancellation from China. And again, it was negative 75,000 metric tons. But Again, I, I'm going to call that a, a a small victory for for the corn. All um, right. Again, it's not something to be wildly bullish about, but a small victory. And then for soybeans, you you had a positive number, 115,000 metric tons for old crop. There was really nothing existent for new crop. That might be a little disappointing. That might be why the November beans are lagging behind a little bit here today. But we're still making sales and ex uh, export sales in beans, even though Brazil seemingly is a much better option for for most. So. Yeah, that, it's kind of an interesting thing, um, and, and it is a little bit friendly for old crop beans, so you've got beans up just a little bit, and, you know, wheat's a little bit stronger, too. You did see some cancellations in old crop wheat, but this is the very last couple of days of that old crop export year, uh, marketing year for, for wheat, and it really is just getting moved over towards new crop. Um, okay, because that, that starts uh, uh, June 1st, right? right. Um, so, yeah. Uh, really nothing to say about the wheat. The big thing that we saw, the real nice number that we saw was the the soybean meal number, which was really yes. fantastic. And um, Ted, that yep. soybean meal number, Philippines stepped in, I believe it was the Philippines earlier this week, made that purchase 200 and some thousand tons. Who else can buy our meal? Where else do you see this growth coming on the meal side? Or was this a one and done, do you think? You know, okay, so uh, the interesting thing about today's 341,000 metric tons of soybean meal sold last week, that's not including the Philippine number that we saw. Oh, That Philippine number will be on the export sales report for next week. So we already know that next week's soybean meal export sales will be really good. This week, the main contributors or the main buyers was Poland, 100,000 metric tons of Poland. I don't know why we didn't see that on a daily flash sale, by the way. Um, and then unknown destinations for just shy of fifty thousand, Colombia for just shy of fifty thousand, Mexico for you know two hundred. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, twenty-five 
25,000 roughly. Uh, so yeah, I mean, other countries are stepping up to the plate. You know, EU is going to be interesting. We're going to get a lot of maybe atypical customers, I think. I was going to ask, are these all Argentinian buyers that yes. are scrambling, looking for new product? We are taking some of that Argentinian market share. Now, here's the thing. We have a window of opportunity here for our soybean meal exports because they're Brazil is is the second largest crusher in the world, by the way. Brazil is going to, I think, benefit more than we are from the lack of Argentinian sales. Uh, one, Brazil is going to probably sell Argentina a significant amount of soybeans. Two, Brazil is going to make up for some of those soybean meal exports. But the problem for Brazil right now is that they're just fresh off their harvest, getting product to port, or I'm sorry, getting the product to the crushers and then getting the meal to port. Again, there's this window of opportunity where we can see internationals come and buy our soybean meals. So that's going to be great. I, I don't. I'm a little skeptical that it'll be long lasting. I'm a little skeptical that it's going to reverse the decline in crush margins that we've been seeing over the course of the last few months. Now, and that's Ted. That's something you've been talking about here on this program. I know you've you've focused on it over the past year. Margins have been exceptional in that the soy is. crushing industry since 2020. Yep. Talk to us about how much they've narrowed. What have you seen in terms of uh, margin shrink? Yeah. So, you know, spot crush is below the five-year average for the first time in about three years. Oof. Uh, and a big part of that is soybean oil. You know, we, we got really excited about uh, soybean oil for use in biodiesel. But then came along renewable diesel, and that has really cut into the market share of biodiesel. And it's a bit of a problem going forward. Um, not only that, I mean, you've got prices that have been declining in meal and oil, while soybean prices, yes, they're down, but have been relatively strong, which again, takes away a little bit of that, well, a lot of that, that, that big incentive for crushers to not only crush at full capacity, but all these big crush operations, uh, expansion and, and new, uh, new operations coming online that have been announced over the past couple of years. I think we're maybe a lot of these companies that haven't broken ground yet are maybe second guessing some of that. Um, you know, I, there, I, I had seen some stats that we're going to see 700 million bushels of new demand between now and the end of 2027. I don't think that's actually going to come to fruition. I, I Maybe 350 to 400. I, it, we will see an expansion. I don't think it's as, as aggressive as what we originally thought. Um, but that's okay. I mean, look, any new demand, we're going to take it, right? right? New demand is a good thing. Uh, and overall, yes, we do have a new paradigm with new uses, new demand for soybean oil. It just might not be the big shining crown that we had talked about before. And again, that's being reflected in crush margins. Now, I think we've overcorrected crush margins from the big, big, um, you know, sort of record high margins that we had for a long period of time. At some point, I think we'll settle back in above that five-year average again. We'll continue to give crushers incentive to crush at a higher level and do some expansion. Uh, it's just not, they're not making money hand over fist like they had. Right. Maybe it bloomed a little early. Now yeah. we got to let the industry mature. Ted, before we let you go, I love talking the cattle market, as mm. you well know. Yeah. This is certainly an exciting time to talk about the market. June live cattle contract high this week. Additional strength today. Ted, where does it go from here? Yeah, you know, that cold storage report coming in well below expectations. Uh, that's a really bullish thing. Domestic demand is very, very strong. And, you know, we keep talking about, oh, there, you know, recession and, and people are going to change their spending habits and they're not going to pay these higher prices in beef that they're they're finding at their, their butcher's counter. That's not the case. We are buying. We are consuming beef at, at a high level, at high prices. 
And when you do that in a supply situation that is maybe not as tight as originally advertised, but in a, a tight supply situation with weights coming down, marketing is being current, headed into the peak demand season, cash cattle just continues to be on fire. Man, I don't, I, you really don't see any any cap to the the live cattle market at the moment, unless consumers do change their spending habits. But you don't really see that on the horizon. I mean, I, we're all bracing for this recession that just hasn't really happened. We've seen some signs of it in certain sectors, but it hasn't been a a a, a economy wide recession. Right. Cons- again, the big thing being consumers have not changed their spending habits. Yes. It has not been a meat case recession. To say that, Correct. at the least, the, the consumers are still out there To the buying. detriment of pork, by the way. <laughs> That's a good point. They're, they're choosing to buy the premium protein. Folks, we've been talking to Ted Seifert here this morning. He runs Zaner Ag Hedge. Ted, as always, thanks for sharing your expertise with us here on AOA. Pleasure's mine, Mike. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure. And folks, stick around. Emily Buckman, Director of Government Affairs with American Farm Bureau Federation, will join us. We're going to talk through those recent agreements they've had on the right to repair. Stay here for more AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. Each week, we'll chat with voices from across the cooperative system. From global market access to local expertise, we'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Welcome to the 2023 Corn Sprint. Please be silent okay. as the runners yeah, no, take their No worries, take your time. Em- and looks like one plant has already pulled into an early lead because it's been enhanced with Biopath a biological fertilizer complement from the Mosaic Company. Wait, wait, and the early favorite has crossed the finish line. Get the most out of your fertilizer investment. Don't forget to add Biopath to your early season application. Talk to your retailer about Mosaic Biologicals today or visit cornsprint.com. Our connections make powerful things happen, uniting individuals and communities. We are Rotary. We are people of action. And together, we turn great ideas into reality by accessing our networks, our experience, and the best of ourselves to make a difference. Around the world, Rotary brings leaders together to build new friendships and to solve problems. Like in Austria, where generations work side by side to build sustainable housing and community centers. In India, volunteers run a mobile blood bank to help provide a steady blood supply for their local community. And in Taiwan, people are working hard to get vulnerable citizens the support and services they need. With over 1 million members, we know what people can do when they come together. Take action with us. Find out more at rotary.org action. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans and if left untreated can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. 
If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice US. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. AOA continues here today. We thank you for making us a part of your day. You know, over the past 50 years, agricultural equipment has just continued to increase in terms of its complexity and in terms of the number of systems that are required to make these pieces of machinery run very well. And that creates challenges when something breaks down and it needs to be repaired. There has been a push across the country in recent years for the right to repair the requirement or or hopeful, uh, the expectation, I should say, that manufacturers will allow third parties or owners to repair their own equipment. But there's been a bit of a back and forth. There's been legislative action. There's also been private sector action on the right to repair. And that's what's got me curious. Today, we're going to be talking with Emily Buckman. She's the Director of Government Affairs at the American Farm Bureau Federation. And Emily, right to repair is something Farm Bureau has been working on for several years, isn't it? It sure is, Mike, and thank you for having me on this morning. Um, just as you alluded to, right to repair has been top of mind for many Farm Bureau members for a number of years at this point. Uh, a piece of equipment is a major investment, and they have certainly become more complex, digitized over the years as technology has evolved. We also know that farmers and ranchers are way more dependent on technology than ever before. So when a piece of equipment breaks down, it can cause major disruptions on the farm. Just think profits, pr productivity, uh, which is why it's critical that farmers and ranchers have access to the tools and information needed to fix the problem to get their machines up and running as quickly as possible. Absolutely. And there's a couple of ways to get these companies to provide that. You can require that they provide it through legal action and, and laws, or you can work together in a consultative manner to try to get these details out there. And Emily, my understanding is that AFBF has adopted sort of the consultative approach with these ag companies. Can you fill us in on the memorandums of understanding that AFBF has put together with ag manufacturers? Absolutely. Um, our members uh, prefer to find a solution within the industry. And so we uh, pursued memorandums understandings with various uh, manufacturers. So to date, we're pleased to say that since January, we have secured four agreements at this point, most recently with Agco and Kubota, which we believe cover roughly 70% of the ag machinery sold in the United States. Uh, these agreements did not happen overnight by any means. They're, they were a culmination of several years of discussion that began with our member farmers and ranchers sharing their desire to find a right to repair solution within the industry. And we're extremely proud of our progress. Uh, these agreements are significant because they provide farmers and ranchers the opportunity to have access to documentation, diagnostic codes, to purchase parts and specialty tools directly from the manufacturer, as well as get assistance from the manufacturer. Um, it's also important to note that they not only supply these tools uh, to the farmer and rancher, but also uh, give access to independent repair shops. 
we've heard from a number of members that uh, dealerships were consolidating and folks are having to drive a little further than they used to. So independent repair shops can play a vital role in making sure that farmers and ranchers can repair their equipment in a timely manner and get it back up uh, so that they're able to, to get back to their daily business. So, Emily, let's talk a little bit about the requirements here for the manufacturers under these MOUs. You mentioned diagnostic tools. You've got some records that are going to be available. What's the timeline look like and how how easy has it been to work with these companies to get this information out to the uh, to the buyers? Sure. Well, um, each MOU is specific to the manufacturer. Um, they're all roughly um, six pages long. And uh, they became effective as soon as they were signed. So um, I'll pivot to the Agco and Kubota um, MOUs that were signed last week. So they became effective last week. And a part of these agreements is that we, American Farm Bureau, and the manufacturers have decided that they we will come to the table multiple times a year to discuss, uh, share information, discuss what our members um, have been um the benefits our members have have seen from it, uh, discuss concerns that they have. Uh, we could even, you know, talk through technology that's evolved and reflect that in the MOU. So it's an iterative process, if you will, where we have the opportunity to take a look, see what's working, see what's not, and then update them accordingly. Well, that'll be good. So it's going to be a process. I'm glad you used that word iterative, the way we're going to try it once, see what works, uh, iterate again, try it again. That's kind of how these things go. But of course, whenever we're, we're asking for something new from a manufacturer, we're, we're offering a trade-off, we've got to give something up. Emily, what is American Farm Bureau uh, giving up, I guess, in this instance, if anything, here to secure these MOUs? Well, we have committed to this process. We've committed to this private sector solution. We've clearly gained significant momentum, and we hope to have, continue to have conversations with other manufacturers to secure additional um, MOUs uh, in the coming weeks and months. Uh, this is something that uh, we, we feel strongly about. We think that uh, it's the best way to serve our farmers and ranchers to get them a quicker solution to problems that arise um, um, on, in their day-to-day -day activities. We, we hope to see more come along the way, but we're really excited that we've got four already on the books. Four on the books. You mentioned this is, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, these are equipment manufacturers, a lot of tractor manufacturers, but Emily, is American Farm Bureau willing to look uh, in other aspects of ag engineering, whether it's planter design or or small uh, small line machinery, would you be willing to to pursue an MOU on any aspect of of ag uh, equipment? I certainly think we would be open to it. Um, again, we have consulted with our membership this entire process, and we will continue to seek their feedback to so that they can tell us what they want, what they need, what they'd like to see more of. Uh, you know, it's Farm Bureau, and we we take our direction from our members across the country. We've got Farm Bureaus, uh, state Farm Bureaus in all 50 states, as well as one in Puerto Rico. So we rely on our members to direct us um, and tell us what they would like for us to do. And they like to see that private solution. But Emily, when we're doing a private solution like this, oftentimes it, it does bump into legalities. In this case, I'm thinking recently there's been some stories about emissions changing on equipment, folks bypassing emissions now that they've got some tools to use on the farm. Will we have to write some laws to maybe address what right to repair unleashes down the line? 
Well, you know, the way that I see it is our farmer, our farmers, our members, our ranchers, they're not interested in changing, um, changing. They're just interested in repairing the equipment. So uh, if Congress wants to take a look at that, we certainly uh, will follow those efforts. Uh, again, we're committed to this process. Our members are only interested in repairing their equipment not changing it. That is a really good piece of information. That is a crucial distinction when you're under the hood in a piece of equipment. Emily, this has been a long process for the Farm Bureau. I know you've worked with a lot of different companies, but there's a lot of work ahead for folks who want to stay plugged in to the MOU issue in particular. Where would you advise them to go to keep up with what Farm Bureau is working on? Well, we have been um, advertising this on our websites. We are currently in the process of um, developing educational material as well. We work a lot through our state farm bureaus, so there will certainly be more information forthcoming. Obviously, we have had, uh, we've rolled these out periodically over the last uh, six months. So uh, we're trying to uh, get the word out as best possible. And generally that happens through our state farm bureaus who are constantly um, in communication with their county farm bureau members. Absolutely, folks. Stay plugged in. A lot happens in the world of agriculture, and our stakeholder leaders are great resources to keep up to speed with how these things are changing. We've been talking today with Emily Buckman, the Director of Government Affairs at the American Farm Bureau Federation. And Emily, before we let you go, it's a Farm Bureau year. You oversee government affairs. Anything you, you want listeners to know here this week or think we need to have on top of our mind? Well, you know, there, there's always something going on in Washington, and uh, we... Like I said before, we are committed to these private sector solutions, seeking out more MOUs with manufacturers. Um, as we look forward, uh, we, we plan to have more conversations with our farmers and ranchers, as well as the manufacturers on how these nationwide MOUs are working, how they can be improved and be updated as necessary. We also look forward to pursuing additional MOUs with other manufacturers to expand services uh, for our members. Mike, I really appreciate you having me on today. Well, Emily, thank you so much for joining us. We wish you the best of luck in securing these agreements and allowing farmers to get more work done under the hood. Folks, that's Emily Buckman, Director of Government Affairs at the American Farm Bureau. Emily, thanks for joining us today. Thank you. And folks, Emily mentioned news in Washington, D.C. I did just want to issue a reminder. You've got one week to fill out that 2022 Census of Agriculture. Those are due back in June 1st of this year. So do be sure to get that filled out. If you have sold more than $1,000 worth of gross agricultural products, guess what? You qualify as a farmer. Get in there, fill that out. That helps determine the allocation of government dollars and government research efforts as we get in to this next year. Folks, stay with us. We're going to hear from Justin Tupper of the U.S. Cattlemen's Association talking about that product of the USA labeling here when AOA returns. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform. In today's troubled world, our USA Armed Forces stand ready to protect you, your family, and our American way of life. When veterans return to civilian life, they deserve your recognition and support. You can help put vets to work by donating your car, truck, or van to Patriotic Hearts. Your donation will directly support programs to help vets find jobs or even start their own business. Donate today for fast, free pickup of your vehicle, running or not. 
Operators are standing by to answer questions about making a tax-deductible vehicle donation. Find out how you can make a difference in the life of a United States veteran. Call 800-209-6416 for 24-hour response. Call 800-209-6416. 800-209-6416. That's 800-209-6416. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Risvet with this market update. Wheat has turned around from yesterday and is trading positive this morning. Soybeans are also seeing some strength today. Corn, however, is hovering right around that unchanged to slightly weaker. Now, the Corn Belt is still forecast to be dry over the next 10 days or so, but there are some chances for light rains and temps should remain above normal. Today's focus in both corn and wheat will be the export sales report, which will need to take into account last week's sales cancellation of 10.7 million bushels of corn by China, but this may already be priced in. Wheat's export sales report, however, is not expected to show too much activity on the trade wire as Russia picks up most of the export business. However, we'll just have to keep our eye on that today. The situation in the Black Sea hasn't improved and Russia is still refusing to allow ships into Ukraine's largest port and no ships have moved out of the other two ports for the past six days. Russia's wheat crop is now estimated at 86 million metric tons, which is up from the previous estimate of 84. Potential exports have gone from 42 million metric tons to 44. Palm oil futures may increase significantly in the second half of this year due to the El Nino weather event we are moving into. Rains in areas of Argentina are slowing planting progress, but the rains are helping with soil moisture, which should improve the outlook for upcoming wheat and barley crops. And the front month crush margins keep getting tighter for processors, and it doesn't help that Brazil is shipping Argentina soybeans for them to crush to keep plants open. And according to the U.S. Department of Energy, ethanol weekly stocks fell by 5%, while analysts were expecting slightly less. And negotiators worked past midnight last night seeking to reach a debt deal on the debt ceiling talks. The current debt ceiling is set at $31.4 trillion, although actual current U.S. debt is currently estimated to be $31.8 trillion. Now, there is no reason to have a default, but that is the threat hanging over the talks. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Ristvet. 54. So, basically, it's too late to start saving for retirement, right? Not right. Starting to save, even in your 50s, can really make a difference. Well, right now, saving seems hard to wrap my head around. Plus, with the way this year's been going... <laughs> hey, listen. It's okay. You still got this. Just go to aceyourretirement.org. It's an online tool from AARP that can help you get your retirement savings on track, no matter your age. It's free and only takes about three minutes. I like three minutes. Yeah. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll chat with Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. Just answer a few questions and you'll get a personalized plan and tips to help boost your retirement savings. Tips that are easy to understand and tailored to your lifestyle. I like that too. Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Just head to aceyourretirement.org and make your plan to start saving for retirement. Thanks. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. 
Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. AOA continues today. We're turning our focus now to the cattle industry. We've seen a push to modernize the product of the USA label. USDA was asked to commission a study on that very label. Those results have recently come out. We're going to talk about them here with Justin Tupper, president of the U.S. Cattlemen's Association, cattlemen from South Dakota. Justin, thank you so much for talking to us today. Thank you, Mike. Thanks for having us. You know, Justin, before we get into everything that's coming from the USDA here, you are in the cattle business. You are in South Dakota. The last time we talked about the state of the industry in that state, it was a couple months ago and things were okay, but tough with this long winter. I want to ask you, what's the attitude of South Dakota cattlemen here right now? Well, we've had some welcome moisture uh, in this area and uh, it sure changes the attitude. Green grass can uh, do a lot of great things. And uh, so I think as far as everybody getting the brandings and getting turned out, uh, I think the uh, cattle producers around here are feeling really blessed with the moisture we had and uh, a cattle market that sure looks to be uh, maybe one of the best we've ever seen. So uh, I think optimism is uh, probably the word for right now. Absolutely. It's fantastic to see consumers out there willing to pay the price for the exceptional beef that we are raising here in this country. But Justin, now we're going to turn our focus back to policy. Going to get into D.C. here a little bit. And I want to talk about the product of the USA labeling. Where does the U.S. Cattlemen's Association fall on this type of country of origin labeling? Well, I think uh, we've always been uh, extreme advocates for truth and labeling. We want it to be a, a very true label, and and we would love to see uh, consumers have a choice whether they want to buy uh, beef that's brought in from another country or beef that was uh, uh, raised, processed, and, and all steps through the whole process done right here in the USA. And <clears throat> I think uh, as we look at uh, the way that the product is labeled today and this study, very much tells us that the, the consumer does not uh, get exactly that and, and maybe even misled in some cases. So I think uh, we definitely need to dive into this and, and work harder at the uh, country of origin labeling, as we know, had uh, issues with the WTO, and we're, we're always going to have that hanging over our head to try to make something work uh, that's viable. But uh, uh, this study definitely shows that we need to keep working uh, to focus on the product of the USA label that's truthful. You know, and Justin, I'm so glad you brought up the fact that Americans maybe just don't know what it means. USDA claimed in this report that about 16% of consumers identified the correct definition. 63% provided an incorrect. They believed other, all production steps must take place in the United States. And that's not, of course, the current law. Justin, what in your mind, what in the eyes of the USCA would make this more truth in labeling? Well, I think uh, first and foremost, if it says product of the USAA, it should exactly be that. It should be born, raised, processed right here in the United States if it's going to carry that label. And uh, as of now, and obviously the consumer uh, doesn't know that it can carry product USA label and it can come in from another country, be uh, transformed uh, in any way, shape or form and then called product of the USA. And that is definitely a misleading label. Uh, and, and it needs fixed immediately. Uh, and I'm I'm very uh, glad the USDA did this study, and it definitely shows exactly what we believe to be true, that the uh, uh, labels that are out there today uh, are not only incorrect, uh, they're, they're misleading the consumer in a direction that uh, uh, is detrimental uh, to the uh, U.S. cattle producers that have worked hard to uh, produce the very, very safest, best protein on the planet. And uh, that's that's a troublesome thing. So I think uh, uh, USDA and uh, 
uh, many of our partners have worked hard to make sure that we can get this label correct. Yeah, that's so true. And Justin, what else in this study really stuck out to you and the folks at USCA as, as maybe evidence that we need to do something different here when it comes to labeling? Well, I think in, in there, and I don't have it in front of me, but to quote the USDA, uh, when they when they stamp it that it has uh, uh, been looked at by the USDA, which means that it's been certified uh, uh, safe by the USDA, meant there was people many people thought that that was uh, uh, an indication that it was from the United States or that it was a product that was born and raised and processed here in the United States just because it had a USDA label. So I think there's problems uh, up and down the chain in the labeling that we have today. Uh, and, and we definitely have got to find a way to, to give the consumer a choice uh, later on in the study. And uh, it talked about uh, giving a, given the choice of product to the USA label, would they uh, pay more for that. And the study proved also uh, that they were willing to give more for what they believe to be uh, definitely product of the USDA born, raised, and uh, processed all in the United States, and they're willing to pay more for that. So I think that's a powerful study for us as producers. I think you're right. And so I've got it sitting here in front of me. I've got those dollar figures here that USDA put together. As Justin mentioned, they did find an increased willingness to pay for products that were labeled product of the USA. What they found was that for one pound of ground beef, consumers were willing to pay about $1.70 more. It's a 35% increase. For New York strip steak, they were willing to pay $3.20 more. It's a 32% increase. And for a one pound pork tenderloin, they said they were willing to pay $1.71 more. It's a 43% increase. Justin, I mean, that certainly sounds like it's putting dollars to the claims that USCA has been making. Yeah, I, I, again, I think it really backs up exactly what we've been pushing to try to get done, that uh, the consumer should have a choice. Uh, he should know exactly where it comes from. Uh, and not only when they do have the choice, they're willing to uh, back the American producer. And uh, I think that's a powerful statement that, that we need to hang our hat on and make sure that we get done and, and, and let the consumer make those choices and, and stand on our product uh, that we do believe is safe and, and one of the best out there, if not the best. And then, of course, the goal of politics is to take all of these uh, information, all of this data, and compile it into a law. We're writing this product of the USA rule here. Justin, what's next for USCA? What do you want to do with this data in order to shape that discussion? Well, I think we, we, we continue to uh, uh, push uh, for truth in labeling. And, and that's how we've been uh, working that. Again, we, we, we know that the WTO ruling is out there and the, and the contractors to people and the big four packers that don't want to label use that against us at all times. So we've got to make sure we can find a, a way to get this product labeled the way it's supposed to be and make it WTO compliant so we can continue to uh, uh, let the consumers and producers uh, with a long, long, rich history of providing this safe protein uh, for everybody and be able to make them have the choice and then have a viable and sustainable uh, future in the beef business. 
That's so true. These discussions are going to be heating up over the summer. We'll see some additional rulemakings, likely some more proposals. Folks, if this is an issue you are passionate about, stay plugged in to what's coming from the USDA and be sure to use the time to make comments when they afford us that opportunity. Justin, while we've got you here, of course, country of origin labeling isn't the only thing on the docket in Washington, D.C. In South Dakota, working with cattle producers, you've got to deal with beef that can move a long way, and it's moving a long way on a truck. There's a new proposal from the FMCSA to put speed limiters on trucks here in 2024. Justin, what's USCA pushing for to maybe prevent that from happening? Yeah, we've worked really hard for hours of service uh, <clears throat> with our uh, uh, trucking committee, and, and uh, we've come a long way in, in something we thought we kind of had the answers to, and now they come back and, and want to slap us with this. Uh, there's got to be a way in, in, in to allow these uh products that are disposable like cattle when they haul them so we've got to make sure that they can get to their destination without harming them and i mean i think some of the same people that are working on safety issues are the same ones who want to be detractors to us on how we handle the livestock and whatnot so we've got to make sure that we can get it there in a safe and timely manner and hours of service uh has been able to afford us that uh and give us the extra miles and time we've needed but now uh, if we get into this uh, where they want to limit how far and, and how fast you can get there, it takes away hours and, and distances those cattle need to travel. And But there's just not sufficient evidence out there that says that, uh, that it's a safety issue, that, that those hours are out there. I mean, we've, we've got study after study, and we've produced it and, and taken it to Congress and shown them that uh, this is not a problem that, that's happening out there, that too many hours or too far with these cattle is causing more accidents. It's just not the truth. Uh, so we, we've got to work hard and, and be very vigilant on uh, this issue because uh, our, our livestock does have to move great distances to feed and, and to uh, get to slaughter. So uh, it could be a big, uh, long-reaching effects on the industry. Absolutely, it can, folks. Right now in Congress, there is the Drive Act, deregulating restrictions on interstate vehicles, an 18-wheelers act. This would uh, effectively preempt the issuance of that speed limiter. I believe USCA uh, has supported that. Justin, before we let you go, any other thoughts on your mind here as we enter the summer with some optimism at the back for cattle feeders here? Uh, what are you excited for? You know, I think uh, it is an exciting time uh, in our industry. We, we're seeing some of the best prices we've uh, ever seen. Uh, we're also seeing some of the highest input costs we've ever seen. So uh, we, we've got to be stay the same, stay the course. What you said earlier is so true. When we have these issues, uh, it does matter. When you uh, call into USDA and, and we have an opportunity to get our voice heard, we got to make sure we are going to do it because nobody's going to do it for us. We've got to stand up and do it. So I, I think uh, as we look into the summer and we're looking at uh, uh, better cattle prices, we can't be complacent. Uh, we've got to stay on top of the game and make sure that uh, our industry stays viable. Uh, and that's about getting involved and making sure your voice is heard. So I think that that was a powerful statement you said earlier, Mike. Get involved. Keep that voice heard, folks. Those are words of wisdom from Justin Tupper, president of the U.S. Cattlemen's Association. Learn more at uscattlemen.org. Justin, thank you so much for joining us here today. Thank you, Mike. And folks, stay with us. We'll have more AOA coming up here in just a moment. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. 
fueled by innovation, powered to perform. You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength. A champion of courage. An advocate for hope. You are not alone. Because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration. Retinitis pigmentosa. Usher syndrome. And the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. We, we win. We, 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 we are, are the, the Foundation, foundation Fighting, fighting blindness. blindness. Together, we are fighting blindness. Join the fight at fightingblindness.org. I'll take dig a little, learn a lot for 30 bushels. Soft and crumbly. Tom. How does healthy soil feel to the touch? Correct. Dig a little for 40 bushels. Sweet and earthy. Tom. What does healthy soil smell like? Yes, go again. Dig a little for 50 bushels. Dark, porous, and alive. Tom. What does healthy soil look like? You win. Understanding the basics and benefits of healthy soil can make your farm a winner, too. Through lower input costs, better yields, and drought protection, which can lead to a healthier bottom line for your business. Contact your local Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out how you can unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service and this radio station. Tune in the first Wednesday of every month to listen to the Monthly Grind here on AOA. It's brought to you by our friends at the National Corn Growers Association, and each month we're going to dig into one specific aspect of corn demand. What happens to this grain after it leaves your operations and enters the global supply chain? That's what we're going to talk about each month on the Monthly Grind. Again, that's the first Wednesday of every month, and you can also find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. It's a show you don't want to miss. It's the most important race of the year. The one where winning is everything. Where the decisions you make now can and will define your entire season. The yields you're dreaming of are either won here or lost here. This is Corn Sprint 2023. You win it with Biopath, a biological fertilizer complement from the Mosaic Company. Specially formulated to make nutrients more available during the most critical uptake periods and strengthen root systems for better absorption. It's the kind of edge that gets your crops all the way to the finish line with greater yield potential, greater return on your fertilizer investment, and just plain old greatness. So win the corn sprint. Include Biopath in your early season fertilizer application. Contact your local retailer or visit cornsprint.com. 
Did you know that pork is the world's most consumed meat? Pork comprises over one-third of all meat consumed. Pigs were domesticated over 9,000 years ago in 7,000 BC, and there are more than 180 species of pigs. Why pork? Well, it's not just because everybody loves bacon. Historically speaking, pork is a very easy meat to preserve via smoking, curing, or salting. Not only could it keep well before refrigeration, but it also tastes great under various preservation tactics and adaptable to a variety of flavors, spices, and dishes across differing cultures and regions. There are twice as many pigs as there are people in Denmark. Did you also know that China is the world's lead pork producer? In 2020, they produced an impressive 41.13 million metric tons of the meat, which equates to almost 91 billion pounds. So the next time you dive into that plate of bacon, know that pork is the world's most consumed meat. These farm facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. As planting season begins across the country, the American Seed Trade Association reminds farmers to follow the basic steps for seed treatment stewardship. Follow directions on seed container labeling. Eliminate weeds in the field prior to planting. Minimize dust by using advanced seed flow lubricants. Be aware of honeybees and hives located near the field. Ensure that any spilled seeds are removed or covered by soil to protect wildlife and the environment. And remove all treated seed left in equipment. For more information, visit seed-treatment-guide.com or contact your seed dealer. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. AOA continues here today, and we've got some breaking news to report. We're recording today's episode on Thursday morning, and here about 25 minutes ago, the U.S. Supreme Court issued its ruling in Sackett versus the EPA. This is the case we have been watching for the better part of six months here on the program. It's the Clean Water Act case. This Idaho couple, the Sacketts, is suing the, or did sue the EPA, I should say, because the EPA claimed that underneath their ground was groundwater that was running into a lake, making it a nexus to a navigable water supply. Supreme Court today stood with the Sacketts. So uh, as of now, I'm reading this uh, this. Uh, reasoning as it has come out. I have not had a chance to peruse it. We will be talking on tomorrow's program with Mary Thomas Hart, Chief Counsel of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. They've been very engaged in this case. Mary Thomas has been following it closely. She'll give us the full legal reasoning. But as of now, worth noting that all justices agreed in the outcome. They all sided with Chantal and Mike Sackett. However, there was some differentiation on the legal reasoning. Now, this does end a years-long battle between the Sacketts and the feds. This case has been in progress in one form or another since 2012. In the broader conclusion, the court ruled five to four uh, in a vote on an opinion authored by Justice Alito that the Clean Water Act jurisdiction extends only to wetlands that are indistinguishable from larger bodies of water by having a continuous surface connection. Now, to me, that sounds like the most important piece of the decision right there. We've heard from ag groups what they have been seeking is a simple standard that landowners can apply with their own eyes when they're out there in the fields. It sounds as this, as though this indistinguishable from larger bodies of water by having a, quote, continuous surface connection 
might be the kind of thing that simplifies planning for water usage. So folks, I keep your eye on this. This is a brand new story. The Supreme Court has ruled in support of the Sackett homeowners on that Clean Water Act versus, uh, case versus the EPA. We'll dig into these details. Tune in tomorrow. We'll talk with Mary Thomas about how this decision could play out longer term and what it's going to do with that Biden WOTUS rule that they proposed back in December. My quick sense is that this would throw that out, but we'll get that confirmed tomorrow on the program. We've got some other news, a story that's been percolating for a few weeks, HPAI, avian influenza in Brazil. Several weeks ago, Brazil announced they had their first ever detection of HPAI. It was found in wild birds. The Brazilians are very, very nervous about that. Their poultry industry has exploded in recent years. They have been a massive exporter of poultry, so they're very concerned about the potential spread of HPAI. So the Brazilian government yesterday, in fact, declared a state of animal health emergency for 180 days in that country in response to this outbreak in wild birds. Uh, they're going to have this thing in place for 180 days. This is going to allow the, quote, operations center to coordinate, plan, and evaluate national actions related to avian influenza. Uh, Brazil's main meat producing regions are in the south part of that country, uh, and the government has confirmed the claims in the, or excuse me, the bird flu cases in the north. So, so far, not perhaps a direct risk to the production areas of Brazilian poultry, but given the spread that we have seen here across North America and across Europe and Asia with HPAI in recent years, it certainly uh, seems prudent that the government is going to be paying close attention. And we've got further information, ramifications, I should say, from that atypical BSE case that was discovered last week in South Carolina. So far, the only trade response I have seen has been from the South Korean government. Uh, they announced a few days ago that they are going to strengthen their quarantine checks on U.S. beef. As of now, the Korean government is shooting to inspect about 3% of U.S. beef imports into South Korea after the atypical BSE case was found last week. South Korea announced they're going to up that inspection rate from 3% to 10% of U.S. beef imports coming into that country, and they will be doing a larger battery of tests trying to keep uh, the disease out of South Korea. In other news here, before we go for the day, Europe and their laws for green economy. This is something they've been pushing on quite a while. We've discussed the Dutch farmer reaction to the push from a number of these laws. It has not been favorable. They're in the Netherlands. The farmers are frustrated. They've uh, protested many times about these proposed new laws and regula regulations from the EU. And now it appears that pushback is spreading. According to a Reuters exclusive, increased political resistance to EU laws is growing, and it's leaving the European Commission working to fight to keep its members intact here on this green transition. Europe has been on a push trying to drastically reduce the amount of uh, carbon and methane emissions here by 2030. They've also targeted uh, rebuilding damaged natural habitats and going after chemical pesticide use. The EU has proposed cutting chemical pesticide use in half by 2030, six years from now, they want to cut that use in half. And a lot of these laws have been 
if not celebrated, at least pushed along without substantial pushback for the past few years, or at least substantial pushback at the government level. That appears to be changing. Opposition, according to Reuters, has mounted in recent weeks. We've seen substantial pushback from farm groups in Eastern European as this Ukrainian grain continues to push onto their shores. And they say, uh, according to Peter Lice of the EPP, it's just too much. People are frustrated with these new rules every year, end quote. And now they're looking to put some pressure on maybe rolling those back or at least slowing down the introduction of new green rules there in Europe. And finally, one quick look down south of the equator in Argentina. It is getting to be crunch time down there for those late planted crops, their soybean crop already pretty much DOA, but the Argentinian growers in the heart of the Pampas region need rain in the next few days. That drought continues to intensify, and Cecilia Condi, the chief crop, chief crop analyst at the Buenos Aires Grain Exchange, says that if rain does not materialize here in the next few days, that agency will be lowering its expected production in both wheat and corn here in Argentina over the next couple of weeks. Folks, thanks for listening to AOA. Tune in tomorrow. We'll dig in deep on that Sackett decision from the Supreme Court with Mary Thomas Hart, the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Have a great day, everybody. Stay safe. We'll see you tomorrow for more AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Get on board. The water is open. It's time to go boating and fishing and leave stress in our wake. Feel the wind as we ride and a fish on the line. Reel in our first catch and feel the sun at our backs. It's get out on the water season. It's time to get on board. Find out where to get on board near you. Visit Take Me Fishing and Discover Boating to learn more. And please recreate responsibly. Get on board. Get on board. Over 2.8 million Americans have served in our military since 9-11. Many have returned home with devastating injuries and few resources for them and their families. This is news correspondent Bob Woodruff. I sustained a life-threatening injury while reporting from Iraq in 2006. The military had my back that day and they have each other's while serving. It's time we had theirs. Please join us as part of the Got Your Six initiative. To learn more, go to gotyoursix.org using the number six. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. A good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering. And your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor, restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration.